everybody. I'm Gary Ebersol. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. The three old codgers are together in our virtual studio now that Randy is back from his travels in Europe. Today, we continue our discussion of ageism, but before we jump into that topic, Randy, and I know it sounds like a silly question, how was Italy? <laughs> I was so disappointed. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> That's not Jeez. true. You just set me up for that. You know, guys, when I decided, well, like I decided on my own, when Patty decided for me that we were going to go see <laughs> Italy, we started doing some homework, as you probably should before you visit any, any place new. Italy is the number one travel destination worldwide. Mm. It is, it's the most popular country to go visit. You know, Italy's been a world center for so many things for so long. There's so much history. There's so much culture. There's so much art. So it's really hard to come back from Italy. Oh, man, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I got so tired of world-class Renaissance art. I got so tired of the food, which is world-class everywhere you go. <laughs> you know? There's so much there. It was such a great trip. So thank you for asking. I could go on and on. But honest to goodness, one of the best vacations of my life, probably the best. Really? That's saying a lot. Yeah, that's saying a lot. And it's, it's also the longest. Mm. That's the longest vacation of my life. You know, by golly, you know, Patty and I spent a lot of time on Duolingo, a little phone app, yeah. trying to learn some Italian. We get over there and guess what? Everybody says, hello, sir. How are you? It's like we got Americans stamped on our forehead. <laughs> there is something about the look of an American tourist. And we tried so hard not to be Americans, but I mean, there are just so many of us over there. Yeah. I assume if you look a little, little out of it, you're probably a tourist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and plus, we're going to all the tourist places, yes, you know? When exactly. All the people in line to see the David statue. Guess what? Very few locals, except for a couple of kids' school classes. But great fun. Great fun. Oh, my. Sounds like a great trip. I want to say something on behalf of older travelers. This is the first time I've ever had a major three-week vacation away from home. Anywhere. Patty and I had had gone to Europe once before in, in 2016. And one of the reasons we did this giant trip is we're kind of looking at our biological clocks going, you know, we don't want to wait too long to go see some stuff. As we all get older, we get less able to do a big trip and certainly to do the kind of walking around that we did. So I just want to put it out there to our listeners, no matter where you want to go, if it's Italy, if it's Chattanooga, Tennessee, if it's Southern California, if there's a place that you want to visit, go ahead and do it. If you can, don't put it off too long. Travel is such a, a mind-blowing experience on so many levels. It really expands your horizons. It also teaches you a little humility. We can't expect the world to be like our hometowns. Uh, you leave the country and you're reminded of that every single day. So the, the folks in Italy are wonderful, they're warm, they're very accommodating, and they're also Italians. <laughs> <laughs> so we shouldn't expect them to act like Americans all the time. On a humorous note, 
the number one sentence I needed to know in Italian was dove il bagno? Where, <laughs> where is the bathroom? <laughs> and it turns out I didn't really need that because everybody knows enough English to know what we're, we're saying. But a, what a wonderful trip. I missed you guys. I missed Camp Codger. I missed my own bed. <laughs> what a great trip. Returning to reality, Richard, you've been thinking a lot about some of the issues of ageism and seniors in the workforce. What's on your mind? Well, a lot. And as I began thinking about this, it kept going further and further. A lot of us, of course, have left the workforce by now. There are a few of us that are still living the workday life at an advanced age. But one likely certitude is that in our latter years, we've all experienced some form of ageism due to that senior status. I know I have. Before we dive into that, let me provide a little bit of context. The whole country is aging. The New York Times this month reported about how much older America is now than it was just 40 years ago. The median age of an American is now 39 years. In 1980, it was 30 years. A little more than a century and a half ago, in 1850, the median age was 19 to 23 the average mortality in 1850 was 39 years of age. It's the same as our median age today. What does it all mean? Well, one thing is that due to vast improvements in public health and medicine, we are all living longer. We'll be spending many more years in retirement. Think about it. Our system is set up for retirement at 65, but can most of us afford another 10, 15, 20 years or more of mostly income-less life? Many of us will either have to work longer or return to work after retiring. The Bureau of Labor Statistics predicts that by 2030, nearly 40% of 65 to 69-year-olds will be in the labor force. That's a third more than in 2020, just a few years ago. Too many of us simply can't afford to retire. But what if we can't keep our jobs or find new jobs after 60, 65, or 70? What if employers can't or won't look past the age on our driver's license to see that we can still be valuable, reliable workers? This is the age of ageism. Gary, if you try to get back into the workforce that you were in for the better part of three, four decades, the tech world, what do you think your prospects would be? In reality, near yeah. zero. But the good news is... Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Why near zero? Well, you asked me what my prospects were, and I said near zero. And it's reality, of course. But I'm lucky, and I don't have to work. I'm done. I'm retired. I don't want to go back to work. Lucky for me. The reality right. is in the tech world, things have moved on. I'm happy being retired. I've come to that over the last couple of years. And I know, Richard, you and I have talked about this retirement question before. Yeah. I'm done. I am really happily retired. I don't want to give up the freedom to wake up every day and decide what I'm going to do today. Got a few obligations here and there, but the whole idea of getting in the car, commuting to work, spending eight hours at work, coming home, rushing around, getting up the next morning, doing the same thing day after day, doesn't appeal to me anymore. I don't think anybody could hire me right now, nor should they hire me. Because in the tech world, I'm not qualified. 
not only am I not qualified, I'm not energized. There's just nothing in the tech world that interests me that much that I'd want to spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week doing it. The reality is I'm too old. In my world, the world that I worked in, if you didn't stay current, if you weren't involved in that world the whole time, you basically lost your skill set. You weren't relevant anymore. And after being out of the workforce for as long as I have at this point, I'm not hireable. I don't think it would work. If I were to get hired back into my old jobs, being CEO of a small startup, I don't want to manage people anymore. Mm. In the end, I'm not employable in the tech world I came out of, and I wouldn't hire myself back. Whoa. (laughs) Well. That's that's the bottom line right there. Randy, what about you? Would you be a good candidate for full-time work now in your world? Well, part of what Gary said resonates with me because I don't want to do it for 40 hours a week. I'm happy to to do part-time work now. And my joke for years, I've been saying this for years, very tongue-in-cheek, is that I am not hireable. I haven't been hireable for a long time because I haven't had a job for a long time. I've been working for myself. I started a company a long time ago. Nobody would hire me, but I'm able to work. So that's a real strange dichotomy. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to work as much as I want to, but I don't have to work more than that. I guess there's another question looming here somewhere. There's that other generation just below us that are approaching old age, the 55 to 65 group. Those are the people that are being frozen out of the workforce now. If they lose their job, how do they get back in? That's really, I think, the essence of the question of this show is if you want to still work or financially if you need to still work and you're 60 or older, how is the workplace reality working for you? Are you able to switch jobs? Maybe you've retired for a couple of years and you said, I'm just kind of bored. I want to do something. Or I really do need a little bit of income coming in. What's that experience? And that's something that the three of us can't speak to directly. Let's face it, there are some statistics on that. We know that people in, in that older age group sometimes have trouble keeping their jobs. In 1967, Congress passed the Age Discrimination Act. So that's pretty forward thinking when you consider how old the workforce was then. And some forward thinking folks in Congress actually took on this topic. So they knew it was coming. Thankfully, I have no direct experience, but I do know that that is an issue. And it's been an issue for 50 years. It has. It has. It's interesting you talk about Congress because the average age in the Senate is 64 years. In fact, there are more than 50 senators older than 65. I mean, we could have a codger beer with most of them. Absolutely. Actually, that would be a good discussion. It would be fun. (laughs) But of course, we've seen that other part about members of Congress are too old and should get out of their jobs. Dianne Feinstein, Mitch McConnell, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, of course. People in his own party are saying, you're too old, despite his record. It's not about his record. It's about his age. I don't know about you guys, but I certainly have had issues of ageism in my world. Have you experienced any issues of ageism during your career, the latter part of your career? Randy? Well, the the truth is, as I've gotten older, I've decided not to stay as relevant as I could have and should have if, I, if I'd have been younger. 
it goes back to what Gary said earlier in the show. If you're going to be in a, in a particular industry, you got to stay on top of it. You have to stay relevant. You have to stay current with the technology. In the advertising and PR world, things have gotten so digital and so mm. non-traditionally based. When I graduated from college and um, started working in communications, PR was about getting your client written up in the local newspaper and maybe on a radio show. Now it's what kind of digital presence can you create for your client? Can we get a tweet to go viral? Can we get them on a, a Facebook live feed? The technology has changed the industry. Certainly I know how to do some of this stuff, but I haven't devoted myself to it. So I'm not as current as I should be if I was 40 years old. Gary, were there moments in your tech employment that felt like, hey, I can't go there because of my age? You know, I got to be honest, I never really experienced ageism. Maybe it was because of the way I approached my jobs, my interviews. I was in the startup world, the tech world, and age was relevant in that world. What I found is no real serious people saying, ah, you're too old or implying you're too old. And maybe I just wasn't sensitive. Maybe I was being screened out so early in the process mm. that I never found out. But I raised money for a small startup when I was in my early 60s. Maybe I decided I wasn't going to act old. I wasn't going to be old. You don't call it ageism. You just say, I got to be there. I got to be on my game. I got to be mm. at the top of my game to be successful. I don't have any real serious experience where I thought I would, people were acting ageist towards me. I have to say that when I was at the Times in management positions, one of the things we noticed when there were layoffs and eligible buyouts, so we were looking to, to rid ourselves of some older folks. Older workers are paid a lot more than young workers. And in my case, we could have hired three young reporters for my salary. Plus, older workers are often not the yes people that younger workers are. They may challenge or bring experience to bear to shoot down ideas. And a lot of managers don't like that. So they might want to push them to the side. When I look back, I found a lot of ageism in our, in our room. And one of the things that you've said to, to Gary and I privately is that when it really came down to it, when you were hiring, you tended to lean toward the younger candidates, mm -hmm. right? There's no question about it. If there were two more or less equally qualified candidates, all things being equal, I would probably select the younger person. It was a bias. It was a simple inbuilt bias. I was a horrible ageist. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't hire myself. <laughs> You're too old. I'm going to hire a VP of marketing that's, that's young and full of energy and they're so career focused. There's reasons not to hire older people. And there are reasons to hire them. But I'm going to go with the reasons not to hire them. In <laughs> many cases, it has to do with the fact that you've reached your career pinnacle. You're not as striving as much as you did when you were younger. And when you're responsible for, in my case, taking money from venture capital investors and trying to create a successful company, your obligation was to hire the best and the most aggressive and the, and the most hardworking workforce you could find. Mm -hmm. And you really don't want somebody who's basically saying, I can do a good job, but I don't care as much as I used to. You know who you're going to hire. You're going to hire the 40-something instead of the 55-year-old. And maybe that's ageist, and it is ageist, I guess, I'll be honest. 
But my obligation was to provide a return on investment. The economic issues and the public policy issues differ. In the newsroom, we mainly hired young people, there's no question, but every now and then we would look up and we would just say, we need an adult in the room. We need an older person, an experienced person to make this thing work. Well, that's certainly one of the reasons to hire an older worker is the experience factor. And I think as we get older, that's one of the key attributes that we can bring to any kind of workplace, experience and knowledge. Maybe not the youth and and the passion, but we've been around. We've done this before. We, We can spot mistakes. We can guide the ship. In the newsroom, there were always young people looking over the shoulders of the older reporters, the experienced reporters, or listening to them do a tough interview with a public official and learning from that experience or coming up to them and literally asking, how do I do this? And it was easy for the older uh, reporters to redirect some young reporters who were banging their heads against the wall. So that experience is a reason to either hire somebody or to keep someone employed in your business. You know, one of the things that we might want to think about, not just here on this show, but in our aging society, is the fact that, number one, ageism exists and the aging population exists. Using those two baselines, maybe the question we should all be asking is, how do we integrate the different ages in the workplace? Mm, That's a good one. And make it a more powerful Mm. uh, workplace for everybody, more productive more of a community of shared experiences and teaching moments. I mean, let's face it, in in any kind of job, there's a lot of teaching moments. Mm -hmm. That's where the older workforce can really come into play. Speaking of teaching moments, I had an experience of real ageism. When I left the Times, my hope was to go into academia. I have all but a PhD. I've got a good line on an open position in a journalism department at a university in Southern California. I applied. I was brought in for an interview. It was supposed to be a 40-minute interview. They kept me for an hour and a half, had a great time. And afterwards, the chairman of the department said, don't worry, we'll get back to you soon. This has been terrific. We look forward to working with you. Literally said that. So I go home, days pass and nothing. Weeks pass and nothing. I finally get in touch again. The chairman told me that they had hired a 32-year-old who had never been in a newsroom to teach a new journalism major they were putting together at that university to send people out into the journalism world. And this was a person who had a PhD in journalism, but had never, never been in a room. We ended that discussion, but it was clear to me that because I, I was 64 years old, they could not see me in that mix, even though I had everything that they wanted. And when I told them, they asked questions about what we, what I would be doing as, as a teacher, what I would teach, what my hopes and dreams were and goals. It all fit with them perfectly. But age was the big difference maker. Interesting. But did you think about it from another perspective, from the hiring perspective, if you were hiring, and here's somebody that's 64 years yep. old, and you're trying to build a department, you're creating something new. Yep. And this guy, Richard, he's 64. Next year, he can say, hey, I'm out of here. I got my social security. All their investment in trying to create a department with you as playing a major role is out the door. They got to start all over again. You know, no one asked me and couldn't ask me, well, if you take this job, how long are you going to stay? I would have asked you. I don't think you could have. I don't think you could ask questions about age 
in that context. You know, I would have said, hey, I'm going to stay at least a decade. I've got energy, I've got health, and I plan to be here. And that was the truth. You're right. A 30-something could be there for 25 years. Although, that's the conflict, right? The experience versus the youth. Randy? So far, we have not solved this issue. I've got an idea. Let's make it a non-issue. <laughs> <laughs> You know where I'm going from here. I'm going to do a little bit of contrarianism. I hate to do it. Well, no, I love to do it, as a matter of fact. I'm kind of a contrarian, <laughs> contrarian kind of guy. Oh, Gary, don't try to play this card. We know you love this. Go for it. This is the baby boober generation whining again. <laughs> think about it. Boo! Well, but think about these poor old boomers. They've got... Everything. They've got the jobs. They've got the real estate that their children can't buy. They've got defined benefit pensions. They've got political power, if you look at the Senate, right? And they're saying, oh, but that's not enough. We want more respect as we grow older. Well, come on. <laughs> Get over it, boomers. You've got the best life ever. Now, not everybody is as fortunate as we are, but no. I think as a whole no. generation, we've got a lot more flexibility. There's some great things about aging. We've got to stop talking about the bad things and say, what are the good things? I like the freedom. I really do. I mentioned that earlier. Get up in the morning. I have things to do. I have projects to work on. I have Camp Codger to work on. But all of those I could walk away from, right? You don't have that when you're working. We've got happiness. The data shows that people our age are happier, period. We've got to stop talking about the bad things and say, what are the good things? We don't have enormous debt loads that our children have. And we're still whining about ageism. Somebody <laughs> says, gee, you're 65. <laughs> I'll give you a good example where ageism actually worked for me. I've got a little bit of a quick temper. And sometimes I go off when I get kind of worked up over something. I, I don't suffer stupidity. So several years ago, we're in a parking lot driving a car and slow speed. We're trying to find a parking place. And some kid runs into my car. And I'm thinking, what? And so I roll down my window and I say, hey, you ran into my car. He says, no, I didn't. So I, I look out the window. <laughs> There's his bumper's up against my fender. And I, so I get out of the car, I stand up, and I say, what's the matter with you, bozo? You ran into my car. <laughs> and he is sitting in the other seat saying, oh, my God. We're, this is just when we started dating. And think, this guy isn't going to survive. <laughs> this kid was probably 25 years old with his girlfriend. This is where ageism played in my favor. This guy looked at this crazy old white-haired guy and said, I'm out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. And he drove away. Ageism works. I think we've solved the problem. It sounds like we have solved the problem. Thank you, Gary Ebersole, for your insight and your experience. That only happens every two or three years. So I might survive until I'm 80. I do think the way to get at this issue, which Gary doesn't think exists, is to talk about it. And we've spread a little bit of the truth about it and the issue of it. It's a hidden issue in many ways that nobody talks about. Hidden. Everybody it's, claims it's in it. the newspapers all the time. It isn't in the newspaper all the time. It's claimed by people, but nobody has any examples to give because you have to go, shh. 
Well, no, you don't go shoot. Richard, I'm going to argue with you on that one because I think we talk about it all the time. Boomers don't stop talking about themselves. We are the most narcissistic generation ever. We are, really. We talk about what wonderful things we did in the 60s. We're, we oh. made the differences in the 70s and 80s. The reality is we're a very lucky generation. And yes, we're growing older. And what we're dealing with is the fact that we don't want to grow older. But the reality is we are older. Why do people have to suddenly put on blinders and rose-colored glasses and say, well, we're going to pretend you're not old? You know, I'm 75, almost 75 years old. I'm old. What we need to do is accept our aging. As we talked with well, Carl, as I suggested, you've got to allow it. You've got to adapt. You've got to recognize that you're not the same person you were 20 years ago. Well, I agree with most of that, but I do think what the society has not recognized, and I certainly saw evidence of it both in the newsroom and in academia, is the role that experience can play in a situation, in a context, in a group that it can lend value, lots of value. Here's one thing that we haven't really talked about. And that is, we referenced the fact that the population is getting older. When you look at U.S. adults age 65 to 74, today, 25.8% of us in that age group are working. By 2031, mm -hmm. that number is going to go up to 30.7%. Mm -hmm. Older folks are going to stay in the workplace in greater numbers than ever before in the history of this country. I think the big question is, how do we integrate the old folks with the younger folks, number one? And number two, is legislation needed that says to an employer, you have to have a balanced workforce balanced by age level? No. Ooh. Gary says no, but I'll bet you going forward, we're going to see something coming out of Congress, or at least a few congressional members saying, we have to address this issue. Let's do it this way. It's quite probable. In the end, this topic is not going away. It's not only due to boomer self-absorption. Ageism is going to continue to be an issue as more older people remain in the workforce. We can probably expect an increase in generational clashes it's been difficult for American society to talk about this issue, but perhaps talking about ageism openly is one step forward to a better conversation. Thanks for listening. Join us next week when we take another stroll down memory lane as we look back at 1968. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Codger in your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com, post a comment at www.campcodger.com, or leave a voicemail at 505-216-6171. <music>